From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. If a child in your life has an illness or injury that requires surgery, no matter how minor the procedure, it's a big deal to the child and to his or her caregivers. Here to talk with me about how to prepare a young person for surgery is pediatric surgeon Dr. Mickey Kalish. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Kalish. Thank you, Amber. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be part of this. So what percentage of your surgeries are for scheduled things and what percent are for emergencies? Yeah, unfortunately, right now with COVID, we're not able to schedule elective cases. So the majority of our procedures right now are urgent or emergent surgeries. I would say about in the usual times, I would say about 30 to 40 percent are acute non-scheduled cases and the remaining are more elective scheduled cases that we plan out in clinic. So as a pediatric surgeon, I imagine you take care of a variety of illnesses or injuries, but do you yourself have a specialization? One of the great aspects of being a pediatric surgeon is that we're trained to take care of a variety of illnesses, whether it be trauma, critical care, or diseases of the chest and belly. Um, my special interest lies in um, critical care, which is in parallel with my research interests, and minimally invasive surgery, where we use a camera and long instruments to perform surgery. So what's the smallest child that you've operated on? Um, it was it was probably around 450 grams, which is roughly a pound. Um, the baby was born early at 22 weeks gestation instead of the usual 40 weeks. So all of the organ systems are pretty fragile at that age. And this baby had a hole in his intestine that required an operation. And you're able to do that with, like you, you mentioned the instruments, the long instruments and... Great question. This is a case where you'd not be able to do minimally invasive surgery with long instruments. This ends up being a laparotomy or a bigger incision, which in a baby, you can actually do a relatively small incision and still get to the part that you need to. But they're so small. I mean, I just am trying to visualize this. Your hands are probably bigger than the baby. The hand, our hands, usually they can kind of fit into the palm of your hand, uh, but we use special um, glasses that have um, magnifying glasses on them so we can see everything a little bit better and smaller things. All right. Now, what is the oldest or the largest child that you would operate on as a pediatric surgeon? The general cutoff for pediatric surgery is over 18 years of age for general surgery and for, for trauma, it's over 15 years of age. And the reason for this is that many of the surgical issues at those ages transition from being neonatal and congenital pediatric pathology to more adult type issues. What would you say are the advantages of having a child surgery performed at a children's hospital because you're part of Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital versus elsewhere? Yes, exactly. So because our surgeries are performed upstate, which as you said, is a children's hospital, we have the benefits of having all of the resources that a children's hospital has in our operating room. And so this includes specialty trained pediatric anesthesiologists and subspecialists. And it also means we have nurses that have specific pediatric training and child life specialists who can help to make sure that both the parent and the child are comfortable and with age appropriate interactions. And then if they end up staying in the hospital during recovery, that's in the children's hospital, obviously. That's correct. Um, the children's hospital um, tends to be on the 11th or 12th floor. Most of our post-surgical patients um, go to the 11th floor. And each room is equipped with an individual bathroom and a pull-out sofa to try to make the stay as pleasant as possible. And similarly, our hospital has the same pediatric trained nurses and support staff. And again, child life is always available. Well, I know it must vary depending on the child's age, 
But I wanted to talk to you about how you prepare a child for surgery, say um, a toddler. Yeah, I, I find that um, I tend to prepare each child a little bit differently, like you said, depending on their age, but also the sense that I get from them. Some kids are a little more nervous and want all the details. Some are not as interested and would rather not know as much. So I first try to gauge the child when I meet them. Toddlers tend to be pretty easy because they're not yet at the point where they necessarily comprehend what a surgery is. The one thing that I think makes a difference for a toddler is not being able to eat before surgery. That's usually the thing that impacts them the most. They don't understand why they can't, and they're more comfortable when they can. Um, so we do try to maximize their eating time. Um, so for instance, they can have clear liquids up to two hours before their surgery, breast milk four hours before, formula six hours before, solids eight hours before, et cetera, just to try to make it a little bit easier for them. So what are some of the fears and concerns that you've heard from some of your patients before surgery? The biggest fear is, of course, not only the anesthesia itself, but the surgery. And most children do better when we take away that unknown um, because they usually imagine things way worse than they actually are. So I think that really having good communication with them, especially um, school age, if they're understanding it and young teens, so that they feel like they're a part of the decision making can be useful. Um, this is another time that um, our child life team um, becomes really important. We have an incredible team who are um, always available, not only in the hospital and at the in the operating room, but they can even do preoperative phone calls and tours to help make the experience more comfortable. Um, right now, they're actually working on a virtual option because obviously we're not um, able to do in-person tours at the moment. And so there is a video on the Center for Children's Surgery website that shows kids what a typical day looks like when they come in for surgery. So even if you're not able to come into the hospital beforehand, you can um, watch that, but you can also talk to um, Child Life. And they can talk to the, both the parent as well as the child about what to expect, what to bring, and some of those common fears and misconceptions. So that they know uh, what to put in their bag, if they bring a, a, what to pack in their bag, and, and what to wear. That's so. exactly right. Well, this is Upstate's uh, HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with pediatric surgeon, Dr. Mickey Kalish, about preparing your child for surgery. We've talked a little about um, how you address ch the child. How do you prepare the parents? Because I imagine there's a range of anxiety levels, shall we say, um, with some parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the one thing we really try hard to do is to go through the whole procedure when we meet in clinic and discuss everything, including the risks and benefits then. And this allows parents to think about things um, so that they can develop questions, and then we can rediscuss the day of the procedure. This helps them so that they're not overwhelmed with information right before surgery, um, and it should help to take out some of the, the unknowns of the day. Are there things that you uh, can advise parents to do at home in the days ahead of surgery that will kind of help, you know, prepare for the day of. Yeah, absolutely. So I find that kids are pretty intuitive, even if they're not yet speaking. And so I think that being honest with kids is probably the most important thing. And I would try to caution parents not to avoid um, or caution parents to not talk about the surgery or to avoid and talk around the surgery. It's usually more stressful for the patient if they don't if they find out they're not having surgery, that they're having surgery until the day of the actual procedure. Um, the other thing is that routines are comforting. And so I suggest that you try to stick to usual routines when you have dinner, when you go to bed, because if the child senses things are off or that mom or, and dad are nervous, then it can sometimes feed into their own anxiety. Um, and then for older kids, it's good to encourage them to talk about the procedures and to ask questions, because if, if they feel like mom and dad are reluctant to talk about it, again, it, may, it might make the, the child themselves a little more nervous.
So with the surgery, at what point are the parents um, separated from their child? Do they bring the child into the operating room? Unfortunately, parents can't come to the operating room with their child, and this is really just to ensure that the operating room has maintained uh, their sterility. The parent stays with their child through the whole preoperative preparation, and that allows them an opportunity to meet all of the providers who will be taking care of um, their child. Um, but then once it's time to go back to surgery, that's when they say their goodbyes. And then after surgery, we let the child wake up just a little bit. And as soon as they're awake enough to recognize their parent is there, we'll either bring the parent to them to see them or vice versa. So they're with somebody from the time they leave their parent, they're with somebody uh, until they're back in their parent's arms. That's exactly right. It's usually the, one of the same nurses that they've met. So it's someone that the child has already seen. Well, let me ask you how COVID has changed um, the procedures or the preparations for surgery. You talked about the video um, that people are able to do, uh, you know, to sort of familiarize themselves with what to expect. Are there other things that um, COVID has impacted? Yes, yes. Now, of course, Upstate follows the CDC guidelines in terms of patient protection and screening. So when the parents and um, children are uh, first come in, they're provided screening questions as well as a temperature check at the entrance in addition to a fresh mask. Um, we have all of our children get a COVID test within five days of the procedure. This is important not only to protect the hospital staff, but it's especially meant to protect the patient because if they have COVID and they're undergoing elective procedure, that's not the right time to be putting them under anesthesia. Um, the other thing we do is um, instead of having the parents wait in a you know communal waiting room, we have them wait instead in their individual preoperative rooms. Um, the major unfortunate but obviously understandable condition with COVID is that only one parent can accompany the child to surgery and also even if they're admitted. Well, uh, we've talked a lot about preparing for surgery and the, the day of, but then after surgery comes recovery. So what are the concerns that you're always on the lookout for in children as they recover from surgery? The main thing initially is making sure they wake up well after the anesthesia because of the medications that we use to make them sleepy. Um, and we need to make sure they're breathing well after the breathing tube is removed. Um, this is super important for the younger infants, but especially those who are born early preterm. Um, after the anesthesia recovery period, the main things we look out for that's kind of universal to every surgery are pain control and infection. And then, of course, each surgery has its own unique set of associated risks that we also look out for. So how do you handle pain control, um, particularly like in a baby who the baby can't talk and tell you that they're in pain? How do you decide how much pain medicine they need? Yeah, that can be challenging. Now, all of our nurses um, and support team are trained to work with infants and children, and so they're trained to recognize signs that might suggest they're in pain. So, for instance, if a baby is particularly fussy, this could be an indication of pain, but this is going to be challenging babies who um, aren't able to eat because obviously that fussiness could more be attributable to the baby being hungry. Um, so we look for some other more objective things like changes in their vital signs, like their heart rate, which would increase um, if they're in pain. Um, in most procedures, we use local anesthesia or numbing medicine to help with pain control. Um, and then for most same-day procedures, kids often don't need anything more than Tylenol or Motrin if they're old enough for pain control. We seldom need to use narcotics in kids. Do you think that kids typically heal better and faster than adults after surgery? Kids are amazing. Yes, they do seem to feel have. They do seem to heal faster, um, and the incisions are usually less noticeable. They heal just so well. Um, so after surgery, I often don't really restrict their activity too much, and especially in toddlers, it's pretty tough to restrict their activity anyway. Yeah. 
but I find that kids tend to self-limit what they do just based on what they're feeling up for. So they may be more apt to want to get out of bed, whereas an adult may want to rest a little bit more. Yes, so true. Yes. Well, in, in adult surgery, I know minimally invasive techniques are being developed for more and more different types of procedures. Is that true with children? It is true. It is true. For general surgery, um, minimally invasive techniques started really with appendectomies, which is one of the most common procedures we do. And then we got pretty good at that. So we started doing gallbladders and then we started doing bowel surgery and lung work and so on. And in the same way, we've continued to push the envelope in children to make sure that we're getting um, the same surgeries accomplished with smaller incisions, less pain, and ideally a, a shorter hospital stay. So in kids, we similarly um, started out with apnectomies and gallbladders, and we've continued to expand um, our repertoire. So now we do um, hernias, uh, repair pyloric stenosis, and um, removing um, um, extra parts of bowel um, called meckles. Can you talk about the benefits of a minimally invasive technique uh, in a child? Yeah, the, the main benefit is really the smaller incisions. So with those smaller incisions, you not only have less pain after surgery, but then you also have a better um, cosmetic outcome. And then from a surgeon perspective, it, it can often give us greater reach through the, through the abdomen and also through the, the lung cavity, as well as better visibility. Great. And now I'm imagining these tools um, have to be smaller for smaller people than they are for the adult for the ro robotic tools, right? Yeah, that's true. So we do both laparoscopy and robotic techniques and they're they're kind of the the same, flip side of the same coin. Um, with uh, laparoscopic surgeries, we'll use smaller ports and smaller instruments. So for instance, in adults, we'll use kind of five millimeter ports and in kids, we'll even use something as small as a three millimeter port, which is the um, access point to the belly that we use to put the instruments in. In the robot, um, pediatric surgeons have started dabbling in robotic surgery, but the problem that we have is that um, the port sites are still larger than those we use in, laparos in laparoscopic surgery. And so that can make a big difference in a small child because then you lose the advantage of the smaller incisions. I see. Well, before we wrap up, can you tell us about the research you've been involved with um, in lung diseases and critical care? Yes, um, I've been interested in lung injury and critical care since I was a surgery resident. Um, I did a research fellowship in the Upstate Critical Care Lab under um, Professor Gary Neiman. Uh, lungs can get injured for a variety of reasons, like infections and um, inhalation injury or uh, trauma where you get bruises and rib fractures. And the lungs can even get inflamed just when the body is really ill and fighting off some other process. So my research has been focused on how and why the lung gets secondarily injured, as well as understanding how mechanical ventilation or the breathing tube impacts the subunits of the lung. And so now that I've rejoined the, the lab at Upstate, I'll be focusing some of our research um, a little bit more towards the neonatal and pediatric realms. Oh, very interesting. I want to thank you uh, for your time. Thank you to Dr. Mickey Kalish. She's a pediatric surgeon at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.